Thank God it's Free Range. You are listening to Free Range Radio Friday with your host, Michael Elves. Pour yourself a beverage and turn up the volume because here on 101.5 UMFM, the weekend starts now.
101.5 UMFM, this is Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. I'm Michael Alves, and kicking things off for us tonight, Kintsugi, with a track called Hanabi, off of their album Life and Death, released last month. A really beautiful collaboration between siblings Kissia and Stefan Gordon in the wake of their mother's passing. Uh, beautiful thing. I'll link to the album's Bandcamp page in the show notes if you want to check it out. I played that one in part just because it's beautiful and uh, a record that I've become entranced with since I first heard it, um, but also uh, because it's just pretty much piano at its core, and tonight this episode is pretty much piano at its core. I'm going to be talking to The Roots' Ray Angry in just a bit about his new album, Ray Angry 3, which is released today. And then uh, a little later in the episode, we've got Winnipeg's own Danny Carroll uh, talking about his new album, Keys for Transformation, which he's releasing on Wednesday, August 30th at Westworth United Church. Before we get to that, uh, someone that I mentioned in my interview with Ray Angry is Keith Jarrett. Uh, Earlier this year, ECM, the great label, reissued his 1986 album, Book of Ways. I'm going to play the lead-off Book of Ways 1. This is not Keith on piano, it's on the historic instrument, clavichord, uh, but solo nonetheless, and uh, pretty much focused on just the sounds that Keith makes with his two hands. Keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM.
All right. Well, Ray Angry 3 out today. The new record from Ray Angry, who joins me to talk about it. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So I got to ask, this is your second album, but it's called Ray Angry 3. What's the deal there? Um, well, Steve Mandel, one of the uh, label owners for JMI, um, he just came up with the idea of just putting the records out of order so that people are like, where's two? Where's, you know what I mean? Okay. So it's, uh, it's a conversation starter. <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, it's the first question I wanted to ask. I was like, did I miss one? Right, Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Right on. So, uh, I mean, I, I want to talk a little bit about your background because I, I read a, a thing about uh, an interview you did with Cult Montreal from last year's Jazz Fest. You went to Howard and to the music department. W was it classical or jazz that you were studying there? It was both, actually. I, I entered as a classical major and I fell in love with jazz. And so then I'm like, can I have a double major? And so I created a double major. In jazz and classical piano. So, and and as I understand it, your your start in piano was in in gospel. Yes, that was that's my upbringing, but it was more more classical. I was yeah, I was mainly a classical pianist when I was growing up. I was like the weird, the oddball playing Bach. <laughs> so, like conservatory yeah. school type yeah, stuff. After church. A after church. Okay. Well, I was always. Yeah, after church, yeah. But I was always in arts programs my whole life. Right. So that was uh, that was pretty much my experience. And, and yes, I grew up in the church. Yeah, that was that's where you know, in terms of like writing music and improvising, all came from from that experience. Right, because usually, like in a hymn book, there's, there's no like charts. It's it's you know maybe like the melody line for a voice or something, but there's not necessarily yeah. like a full on kind of fleshed out version of like what the keyboardist would play. Well, well, yeah, that's 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 a very good point. And, you know, the hymnal served as a great sight reading tool. So in terms of like, you know, me being, um, you know, uh, an aspiring pianist, my one of my teachers, uh, Robert, um, Robert Davis, he was an incredible, incredible pianist, but, uh, but um, a rigorous sight reader. So I would use the hymnal, hymnal as a as a tool of sight reading, you know, but church definitely gives you um the best ear training you'll have in your whole life because there are no charts sometimes and then sometimes you have to just kind of follow what's going on in the service um if someone's singing you have to be able to accompany singers so it's a it's a uh, incredible place to learn ear training it feels almost like the antithesis of like classical right where it's like you play what's on the page yeah 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 basically and so at, at the same time that like you're in church, you're learning kind of one way you go home or you, you know, you go to these arts programs and you're learning at the complete opposite way, or at least, Absolutely. you know, a, a drastically divergent way. And then, yeah, it seems like, like maybe your career has been like attempt an attempt to find that like middle ground between those two approaches. Yeah, basically. basically yeah, basically. And then, um, and, and then you mix that with me moving to New York and working with different producers Working with, you know, working with choirs, you know, um, I used to play for the Harlem Boys, um, Harlem Boys School of the Arts, I can't remember the name of the group, um, uh, you know, and, and working with, you know, Wynton Marcellus and then working with Terry, uh, you know, working with uh, Diddy, you know, 
working with all these different people from different walks of life that have nothing to do with each other musically. So it's been a, it's been an amazing journey to be able to u- utilize that training that I had early on in these different situations that I find myself in. So in those different situations, especially like working with a producer or, or you know, someone who's like a music director for a specific project or something, they've got a vision they've got something in their head and they're trying to like communicate that to you and and get you to kind of like complete that vision. Have you ever like bumped up against like, Oh man, I can't do that. Or like, I need to stop and figure that out. Like I can't hear what you're hearing. Um, no, because I try to stay as open as possible, you know, because a lot of times as, as a musician, you know, when you're working for different corporations or different companies, a lot of times the people in charge, they don't know music, you know, but they know they don't like a certain thing. So they might describe it. Um, they might describe a musical idea in a different way. So for me, I look at it uh, like cracking the code. It's like a puzzle, you know, especially when you're working in film and television. Sometimes directors, they don't know music, but they know that that whatever you just wrote does not work for that scene. Or maybe it does work for this scene. So I think it's, for me, it's, it's great because I love a challenge. I love discovering new things. I love putting myself in situations where I get to grow and, and definitely communicating with people that don't know musical terms is fun. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned Wynton Marsalis earlier, and I'd read in that Montreal interview that basically like jazz for you comes back to Wynton in, in some way. Uh, was there a specific record or something about you know Wynton's career? Like how did, how did he become kind of a touchstone? Um, um, I wouldn't, I would say in terms of jazz, it goes, for me, it goes back to Art Tatum, you know, uh, and and Festivala. But, but when I mentioned Wynton Marsalis, I mentioned him because I developed a relationship with him when I was 18. Mm. So when I, when I got into college and I was a classical major, you know, and it was frowned upon for a classical major to play anything other than classical music. So I was an oddball in that regard because I wanted to do both. I love classical music and 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 meeting Wynton, um, and and Jeff Tane Watts and Kenny Kirkland, you know, to me they they represented um, the new the new wave in jazz. You know, it's like the an extension of Miles Davis. You know, with the way that they were composing, the way they were they were uh, uh, playing together. I was just really in awe of that whole that whole movement, and so went and I, whenever he would come to DC, I would always go to his gigs and hang out, and talk to him, talk to the guys. As an eighteen year old, you know, wanting to play music, you know, wanting to understand what is this thing called jazz? Like, you know, I wanted I wanted to understand the feeling that I was feeling from from listening to these guys play such an incredible music. That, that, I mean, that's a guy who who bridged classical and, and jazz too, right? He released a couple classical records on CBS. I can't remember kind of like the the dates of those, but like, did that line up with around the time you were yeah. kind of connecting with him? Um, yeah, so I would say yes, but I think um, he was doing that in the early late nineties or no. In the 80s. Was it, the classical music was in the 80s. Yeah, I'm trying to think kind of like yeah, timeline-wise when that. Yeah, yeah, I think it was in the 80s because he was signed to Columbia because Miles Davis was signed to Columbia. I forget the producer's name that was working with him at the time. 
But um, but yeah, I mean, Winton to me is he's he just represents excellence in music, and so I've, I've always just aspired to to uh, to learn as much as I can from him. Even today, you know, as as I'm older, you know, I recently um, uh, wrote my first symphony and I shared it with him. So we're you know, and it, to, to me it was it was very cool to sit here with a guy who. I've known since I was 18, and now I'm showing him my symphony. And we're like, you know, drinking Japanese whiskey, listening to my symphony. I love I love the guy. That was the one you uh, did for Lexington? Symphony? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I read a little bit about that as well. And that, that came about because you're the tour manager, I guess, for The Roots. It's his brother as the conductor? Yeah. Crazy. Crazy story. And his brother is the, is the conductor for the Lexington Symphony. And um, it's really, really interesting story. But I always have, I'm, I'm, I'm always surrounded um, surrounded by people that just really push me. Hey, man, you can do this. Go go make it happen. And I'm like, I can't do it. You know, but then I just, just do the work. You know? So, so uh, talking about this record, I mean, it, it does feel kind of like a, I was thinking of like Keith Jarrett when I first listened to it. Just because it, like it's the, wow. because it's not just because it's a solo piano record, but because there's like the, album feels like so naked at times like the instrument is just mm. like isolated in some way like the way that it's recorded just makes it so spare that it's it's like yeah. all the emotion is wrung out of the piano and 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 jerry yeah. was a guy who did that man I, i'm uh, i'm i'm honored that, that you mentioned keith jarrett that keith jarrett is by far one of my favorite pianists i mean i love love Keith Jarrett so much. Um, I wish I could have a conversation with him. I've never, I've seen him play at Carnegie Hall once. Um, I think it was last, one of the last performances he did, maybe the second to last performance he did. And um, just, just watching the guy play this. He's just such a, such a uh, incredible human being. Um, but yeah, the, the album was birthed out of, you know, you know, it's the pandemic, you know, I lost, my my parents, I lost my I lost my mentors, I lost so many important people in my life. And so I think that the, the when I recorded that album, it was just me just just letting all those emotions out, you know, and just really uh, you know just being a vessel, you know what I mean, and just letting it come through with music, you know, so. So you were writing those as like kind of a cathartic process. Was there any thought to it being a record or was it just like, I, I need to feel my feelings through these songs? It was um, spontaneous, actually. Um, so JMI, I, I love I love JMI because they pushed me so much, you know, and they had been talking to me about doing this this, this album and, and I was, you know, kind of like, oh yeah, I'll do it, I'll, I'll do it, kind of putting it off. And then we just booked the studio Here's the date. Here's when we're recording this record. And I basically just went in the studio and just played. It wasn't, there's was no preconceived notions. I had thought about different things that I wanted to write um, and maybe be a part of the record. But I think at the end of the day, it was just me being in the moment that was uh, the cornerstone of this album. You know, just being in the moment and just really playing, you know. So, what thought did you give to like like in terms of like did you work with a producer who you kind of talked to ahead of time about kind of like what you wanted it to sound like because that that 
like spareness is really evident on the record and uh, like was that something you discussed or was that something that like the recording kind of suggested well i think it's a little bit a little bit of both whenever i work with jmi we never really talk about the technical aspects of the recording um the the cool thing about the, the record is i recorded my first album at reservoir studios so i've been recording there for quite some time so the room um, I just love the piano um, that's in the space. Um, thank you to uh, Steinway for gifting me a Steinway piano for my album. Um, and that was a great experience. But I think, um, number one, picking the, picking the right piano was key, you know, because I went to Steinway and tried a bunch of different pianos. And so that piano that I played um, was was key to the sound, you know what I mean? And, and also... Steve Mandel, he's a great engineer. You know, I did Wise Up Ghost with him, with Elvis Costello. I've done a bunch of records with The Roots with him. And uh, he's just a great engineer. And so we have this this um, uh, sort of, you know, we don't have a conversation about the technical aspects of it. We just, just kind of do it. You know what I mean? And he's just so great. And if we don't like a certain thing, just switch it up or try something different. Um, but yeah, definitely is, is a great working with Steve. He's a great engineer and he did a great job. Um, I mean, all the guys that worked at Reservoir Studios that worked on this album, you know, did a great job in terms of making the sound. I mean, we recorded to tape, you know, that's the other thing. You know, it's, there's no, nothing digital on the album at all. Everything is analog. That could you know, be that. Only thing digital is the release. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. Yeah, you've yeah. obviously we mentioned you know the roots working with Elvis Costello. The, the, like you've worked with a lot of people. When it comes time to doing something on your own, is that like a freeing thing or is it a daunting thing to like kind of not have like collaborators? It can be both actually, but because you know, as, I think it's a curse because as, as a creative, you can like you can create so many records within a matter of hours, you know, but nailing down an idea or perfecting an idea. I think I'm a bit of a perfectionist when I'm alone. You know, if I'm like, don't working on something, I just want it to be perfect. But if I'm working with someone like Questlove, for example, I like to use him as a great example because whenever I'm working with him, I can't second guess myself, you know, everything happens on the fly because he's so busy we might have a project and he's like hey man i need you know i need an intro or you know uh you know we need to record a song for this movie what you got and i just literally start playing you know all right cool can you add bass can you add strings okay cool and horns great next song <laughs> so i love collaborating with that being said i love collaborating but um i think um Spending time with myself working on my own projects is also fun as well, because then I get to try things that I normally wouldn't try, you know, if I'm working with someone, you know, who might have a particular sound that they're going for, you know what I mean? Whereas if I'm working with myself, I can like experiment with electronics, which is what I'm doing now, experimenting with electronics and mixing that with classical music, um, you know, so yeah. Sure. I guess it, if you're working at someone else's pace, that's not I mean that may be a good thing in that moment but maybe it's not the pace you want to set for yourself when you're thinking about your own music yeah, yeah. Uh, you you cover Monk around midnight and and kind of interpolate or like kind of transpose his work into your own was that 
Like, I mean, that 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 feels like you know you calling your shot, right? Like you pointing, I'm going to hit a homer, Babe Ruth style here, right? Like, tell uh, tell me about I, the decision. I, I um, you know, I, I was just being in the moment, honestly, and <clears throat> I have such a huge admiration for Thelonious Monk. You know, his music, his composition. You know, his, his, uh, his philosophy about music, um, you know, and so I wanted to, I wanted to pay homage to my, to people like him and David Bowie, who I truly love. And I think um, I just love, I love composing and I love that song around midnight. So I just wanted to, to just put my own spin on it because no you know normally people don't do that you know they have a composition and they play it and they don't they don't mix it with anything else this is you know what i mean mm -hmm. but i felt like i wanted to you know have a moment with Thelonious. you know what i mean so uh yeah hopefully he hopefully he likes it <laughs> it's uh, so it's in conversation with him a conversation that maybe you don't get to have in person but you yeah. can have through the music yeah Exactly. Like, I wish I could have that conversation with Stravinsky, you know. Do you look at sampling as a conversation? Like, you know, Kendrick, obviously, uh, a sample. Do you like do you, do you feel that that's kind of part of like a long musical conversation? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I, I think um, as a as a composer, I look at sampling as different. I look at it differently for most people. Number one, because I've done so many records where I had to like replay samples because they didn't want to pay for the mm, record. Clearances, yeah, yeah. And also, I just, um, I just love the idea of taking a thing um, that you know was shaped musically or whatever the thing is, and just really putting my own spin on it. I really love doing that. I love composing. I love. Um, playing compositions and not doing it the same way every time. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I think um, that's, that's just who I am as a person. You know, I love, I love discovering new things, you know, and, and it doesn't get boring, you know? Right. I have one qu question that's like completely left field for you, just because I read in the, the piece, like the session you did for Joss Stone, Betty Wright was on that session, okay. and I love Betty Wright. Do you have any Betty Wright stories from that? Because I'm getting I'm getting tired. Baby is like one of my like favorite songs of all time. So I just I I want to hear about wow. Betty Wright from someone who worked with her. Man, you know, oh, Betty Wright was like a mom to me. You know, she was, yeah, she was what what amazing what an amazing woman. Um, I remember one time I was uh, I've learned so many things from her, especially especially because I was a musical director for for Joss. And even like some of my musical decisions, you know, if I would, uh, you know, have an arrangement, you know, maybe don't do it like that, you know, or, or you know, when you end the song, make sure everyone ends together. It's just, just the kind of minor things like that, you know, she would always just kind of pull my coattail and say, you know, don't do this or try this, or, you know, whatever. But the, the one of uh, the most incredible experience I've had with her was the first day that I met her, I was working on. Uh, mind, body, and soul. We're at the studio. I can't remember the name of the studio now. It's closed, but we're recording the song called um, um, "Recording um, 
oh my God, you had me. Recording the song, you had me. And it's myself, now Rogers, Betty Wright, um, um, Cindy Blackman, Jack Daly. They, they played with uh, Lenny Kravitz. Um, at, at that time, they were playing with Lenny Kravitz. And, um, and myself and Angela, uh, Angie Stone oh, was on the session as well. Love her. So we're in the studio. We're cooking. We're jamming. Oh, my God. It was like. It was like the dopest experience. Like just recording a record with Nile Rogers, like amazing. So Betty comes into into the uh, into the um, into the, the uh, uh, recording booth where we were, and everyone's like cheering and saying, "Oh my God, this is amazing! What a great session!" Blah 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 blah. And then, as as we're like cheering each other and saying, you know, patting each other on the back, the lights go out, and it's. It's the whole, all the East Coast is black. All the electricity is gone. Remember that? Mm -hmm. The blackout that happened? So I was with Betty Wright recording a record when that blackout happened. So so I always remember that moment, you know, that was, uh, you know, I've I've done so many other records with Betty as well. Um, But yeah, she was was a a true hero of mine. Before I let you go, Ray, I want to get you to pick a song off Ray Angry 3 for me to play for listeners. And if you have a reason why you're picking it or an anecdote about it, we'd love to hear that. Um, I would say, um, I love Mother's Love, you know? I love Mother's Love. That's that's one of my favorites from the record. Um, number one, because I, I, you know, I miss her dearly. So that would, that would say that that's my, that's one of my favorites. Um, and also like um, uh, Prince, Where Are You Now? You know, because I, I really love Prince. So, you know, I love those two pieces. I mean, I love all the yeah. pieces on my, on my album. I would hope so, right? Especially yeah, on release day. You know, I'm just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, because each, each song has a, has a certain meaning for me, you know. You know, because it's all about relationships, the whole record. Mm. And um, all the various relationships. For example, um, Richard Nichols. The Roots manager, he's like, this guy was such a genius and he was such a mentor. He was an incredible mentor to me um, when I first moved to New York. And I would spend hours and hours on the phone with him just talking about music. Uh, you know, I remember when I would, I would talk to him about wanting to do records and he would just really coach me on, on, you know, on playing the long game as opposed to playing the short game. So all these, all these albums that I've done, all these projects that I'm doing really were inspired by him, you know. Um, so there's a song on the album called "There Is No, There Is No," and um, that's a famous saying that that he would say. You know, he was such a great philosopher as well. So even so, the significance of the song titles is very much drawn from your own relationships and your own story, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess yeah, in yeah, part, yeah. like naming the album like after your name also really stakes a claim that this is a very personal thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. You know, um, I think Steve Mandel, you know, when I first, when I did the first record, you know, the the idea behind just me recording, period, was um, uh, to sort of piggyback on what Bob James had done. You know, Bob James, he did four records. It was like, you know, the famous records. Like one, he did, you know, one, two, three, and four. So it was box set. So they wanted to do one of those with me. Mm. Uh, and I actually met Bob James. What a nice guy. What a great guy. Love him. And there's another dude who's been sampled all all over the place. And, you know, his songs are in conversation 
all the time. Awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. What a great way to make money, too. <laughs> no. <Yeah>. no doubt. <laughs> Kanye sampling your stuff, Jay Z sampling. That's such a big honor, I think. All right. Um, yeah. Well, Ray Angry Three is out today. You can check it out online through JMI. Ray, thanks very much for taking some time. Congratulations on the release, and I really, really appreciate this conversation. Thank you so much. Um, it's a, such a pleasure speaking with you, um, and I look forward to hearing this.
Back here on Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. You just heard Prince, Where Are You? and Mother's Love from Ray Angry 3. Out today, my thanks to Ray Angry for the talk. Speaking of talks, Danny Carroll, local pianist who is about to release his debut record on August 30th. We'll have that conversation in just a few minutes. But before that, another local pianist, Will Bonas. Uh, who we got on to talk about Is This a Dream around the time of the Jazz Festival. Here is a track called Dusk.
Well, releasing Keys for Transformation, his new album on Wednesday, August 30th at the Westworth United Church, Danny Carroll joins me to talk about the record and about the show. Welcome to the show, Danny. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, it's great, uh, great fun to be here. So uh, let's talk a little bit about your background before we talk about the, the record. I know you, you went through the School of Music here at the university uh, and got a master's as well as a, a bachelor's degree. Is that correct? Yeah, I went through uh, the uh, it was the school of music at that point and uh, got my bachelor of music in uh, in composition. I majored, and then I went back uh, a number of years later and actually got a uh, went through the teaching certification, and then got my master's in education. Mm. The master's in education was uh, I did my whole thesis about uh, creativity and blockages happening from teacher to learner in the classrooms and that. And that got me really into the research about about creating and you know everything that you know we're doing and i was doing and just uh finding out more about that and it was just really it was really cool yeah. so, so are the keys of this record rooted in in that master's study then in some sense like those blockages well, and kind of like thinking about kind of transformative experience yeah i mean the the the, the idea of the the keys for transformation like the album name is uh like dual <laughs> one is that it's piano keys and that's why that's my uh uh bottom line is that i'm doing these things on using a grand piano and mm -hmm. when i'm playing concerts i want to i want on a grand piano and the the transformational part is like in uh in any kind of when we're when we're listening to music with no lyrics in it is like i think uh, for me uh, I have a more of a tendency to kind of my mind will kind of go off to something or go out go into an emotional space or some kind of new thought or aha, you know, these little tiny little things. And so these aren't huge, big, miraculous stuff that uh, I'm, I'm proposing, but just uh, just something to be affected by the music, because that's that's what music does to us. Right. It affects our emotions. And that's how we we listen to it with our hearts and uh that's why i i call my um my company that have started to to do these things sounds of the heart and because that's that's where it goes to and that's where it comes from so there is little bits of of i'm hoping there's intent in all of these tunes for a little bit of something that might be helpful you know to people in uh they're just a you know an imagining of uh, whatever but uh, just take you somewhere that allowing the mind to wander when you're listening to something instrumental like you know that there's an expansive kind of terrain for you you know as sonically and, and then like kind of intellectually i i'm curious because i know you did uh, musical theater through through rainbow stage and uh, do you think like Something with lyrics, particularly when it's, you know, a stage show thing where there's like story to it. There's a bit of like handholding as to like how you're supposed to feel or what you're supposed to think about a song. Whereas you're not, you don't have those guardrails or those like leads when it comes to an instrumental song. And it, you, you as the listener invent your own story that fills that song. Yeah. I mean, in musical theater, uh, it's like we buy into the character and we get into the character's journey. So we build this relationship uh, and uh, that's that's the that's the job of the singer of the actors to to do that. And as we do that, we just become. It's like watching you know our favorite TV shows where we got these relationships going on, and something happens, and you feel it like you really feel it. And especially if some of those things are are expressed in song, 
then I think, again, it's we're getting the vibrational part of it. Um, and the vibrational part of it is 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 really important because what what we're doing whenever we're listening to, to anything or playing instruments and stuff, we're getting these frequencies and we're, we're getting some. And that's what sound healing is based on. The whole idea is is frequencies plus intent. So if you have this musical theater song, which uh, is having this music and has this intent to lead you to somewhere, then, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the purpose or just to disclose something that's going on in the character. So when, for me, when I take out the lyrics and I just have the music, it's like disclosing something for me internally in my own story. And uh, so I think, you know, they're both, I like to learn from stories. I mean, I love stories, mm. you know, you get into that, but I also like to just, okay, well, I've I practiced that way. <laughs> so now let me try this just on my own and see what's there, see what happens. Now, do you have like a story for yourself when you're writing a composition that doesn't have lyrics? Like, do you picture something or are you trying to evoke a specific feeling or draw from a feeling you're already having? Or well, do you just kind of write and see what kind of comes out? Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of both. Like like they'll they'll, they'll both happen for one of the songs on the album. Uh, that's just a piano. It's a piano solo, and it's called "Sounds of the Heart." And I specifically wanted to create something for me that expressed, you know, emotionally, sort of what goes on for music and with with the heart and coming from me. Um, and there are other times where I'll just I'll sit down. Because my favorite thing, the way I compose, is just sit at the piano and uh, try some things. I always go to the piano pretty much first. There's sometimes I go to the computer, but usually always the piano. And I'll, a little melody will come, and it'll start to have an effect on me. Just a little thing like, a, oh, okay. And then sometimes it's not until I'm finished it that the actual title comes through. Like the feeling can be there, or feelings. but uh, And then other times it's like, I want to write a song about this. A lot of times that doesn't work. Mm. <laughs> it's just let it be there, let it evolve. And then, uh, uh, and then the feeling is just seems to be inherent as I'm starting to do it or, or as I finished it. So when you say it doesn't, a lot of times it doesn't work. How do you know it doesn't work? Like what, what's the measure of working or, or success in that case? Oh, it's just a vibe, you know, I'm playing it and then going, no, this, 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 this doesn't, it doesn't catch me. It does, it doesn't move me, you know, to, to, to some other place. Uh, it doesn't move me internally. And so I just, uh, I've got stacks of stuff that is like, <laughs> no, no. And then there's, and then there's, there's ones that are going, uh, I go back to later and I go, I just like, make a little change or add a little something and it's like yes that's what i meant and that's what i want it to be like and so it's going back you know and uh, uh it, with a new fresh freshness and then and there's and there's times though too michael when i go back to it and i go nope this is going in that other folder and it's going to stay there for a while. <laughs> Lock it in a dark cave. Lock uh, it. When you sit down at the the piano, like, do you already have a melody in your head or are you searching for a melody as your hands hit the keys? Uh, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll, I'll maybe try to, there, there's sometimes where I'll get just a little tiny bit of something 
and that's my my starting point those are the seeds um and then i'll but other times i'll have a chordal kind of thing and i'll improvise i'll just do some improvisation then i'll take that chordal uh idea and i'll record it you know i'll sequence it on uh on uh, logic uh i use i'm i'm a mac guy so i use logic and i put it put it in there and then i improvise to it and that's a lot of times where my my melodic stuff comes out where i get something i get a, i get a, a pattern sort of going and it starts to lead me and that's what i find the most fun is trying to use something and to make it interesting enough with the, the melodic structure and how it's moving and leaping now and yet to make it come back so that it has a, a curve to it and it's actually expressing something you know um songs without words right right no i'm curious interested so the keys for transformation like the the genesis of this record like was there a specific point at which you were like i i want to do this project or did you had you written some songs and you started to kind of like sift through and be like these and a few more could be this record like what what was that process like well that was really interesting because i've always wanted to do an album and this is my debut album and uh as i went along uh this turned out to be different than what i thought like three decades ago uh because uh in this in the process um my my partner laura um does uh Crystal, she has crystal music sound healing meditation something and she does the use the crystal singing bowls and meditations and energy work and she's been doing this for decades and she asked me at one point she said could you maybe do up some tracks for me because i just need some you know pad stuff and this and this and this and i said sure so i recorded that and then at one point she said let's can we do this live you want to try it live i said yeah yeah i'll do it live i had you know i had the keyboard technology to get some different sounds at once and let's let's try that well then we started going to uh larger venues and we we were going to this church venue that had a a, a grand piano and so we were doing these every every so often and i thought i'm going to write a piece for the grand because i love playing for grand piano um when i i, I played at the at the fort gary there in the uh, palm room oval room for like over 18 years and uh doing my favorite part was when it was hardly anybody there and i pull out something of my own and, mm. and play and so i was playing these and uh for the beginning of the meditations and i was getting response from people saying wow that was really nice so i had a stack of those kind of things and i went through uh and uh some of them i used not not very many but some of them i used but it got me into this whole thing of this is what i want to do because I like to have a melodic thing and then I like to I'll improvise you see I'll always do some improvisation um and uh even in when I'm locked in with with tracks and I've got you know for the concert and I've got strings and, and things happening I've built into it some improvisation parts for me uh and that was just the the, the most fun thing was looking forward to just doing this these solo pieces and so i took that a little bit further and i got more attracted to like felt pianos and uh i started listening to uh people like olafer arnolds and niels Fromm. i saw niels Fromm in, in toronto uh in in april and uh and using you know he's doing this all live with the, with the electronics and that uh, and but these felt pianos and just that kind of that kind of stuff 
And I thought, I want to put that together and I want to use the strings. And uh, and it was just started evolving. The the tunes started evolving out of uh, most of it, out of all of improvisation. It's interesting you mentioned Oliver Arnold's and Niels Fromm because I was going to ask you if you're the type of person who listens to other artists who you know play similar instruments or, or similar styles of music or if you're someone who has to kind of like divorce yourself from that so that it doesn't seep in in some way or that you find you're you know in, in conversation with them or not it, it sounds like it particularly with the, the felt piano that that was something that that captured your ear and and pointed you in this direction oh absolutely yeah the felt. i mean i i had had uh felt piano like samples and and you know stuff like that that i've been just kind of you know, playing around with. Um, but when I at, then started to hear that, uh, how people were using it or the, or like, oh, this is actually a legit kind of, of thing going on here. But you're also there, you know, they're using this and they're using like, you know, like Olifer used strings a ton, a ton. And um, Nils is like heavy, heavy, heavy when he's doing his solo stuff on, on all electronics and that. And it's like, so I'm, I'm kind of like, I want to do some of that and I want to do some of this, but I also want to be my grand piano and melodic. Like a lot of this, a lot of that genre is not necessarily really melody based. Uh, it's more of a, of a flow and there's little sort of patterns that become kind of melodic or repetitious. And I love that kind of stuff too, but I also like writing writing the melodies. So I I just started yeah using little uh, pieces of of things that I've heard. Right, it's always like what we're doing. Right, is is where you're, you're an artist and you're looking out and saying, oh, what's this person doing painting wise? And what's this? What's this? And this? It's like oh, I like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and you start creating creating your own. But it's all the same kind of of genre it's really hard to define the genre <laughs> yeah no it's uh, i mean there there are kind of like a bunch of labels and i don't know if any of them like are sum summarize the music accurately right like because like contemporary classical is one ambient is one like there's different kinds of things that like if you ever look at like Bandcamp tags usually at yes. the bottom of a record like an olafur arnold's there's about six or seven different tags because no one can agree on like one that <laughs> right. it accurately summates it although it sounds yeah. like you took the the strings element of an olafur the electronics of a nils and then like found a, a path up the middle that incorporated both of those aspects yeah yeah using and using the grand piano i mean i'd love to have a a, a uh when i saw olafur he was touring here in uh i saw him in ottawa um a year or so ago and uh he was touring with uh, uh, a felt piano you know and his grand piano stuff and uh i mean he was really cool the way he had that set up um electronically he had he would play the electric uh, the grand piano and it would transfer midi signals over to the felt piano but it would play it in these higher frequencies uh what he would call uh, kind of call like particles up there uh and you could actually see the piano keys moving while he was doing this, it was he was like harmonizing with himself on on felt, and he created a, a software program called Stratus for um, uh, audio, but Spitfire, Spitfire Audio, and so when I latched onto that, I thought, oh, what can we do with this with these kind of things? But uh, I 
I forget where I was leading with this, but it was the. Yeah, well, it does bring to, to mind another question in terms of like you know working with some sort of technology or something that maybe is is new or nascent. Like, the opportunity for experimentation is that can can that be kind of a, a cul-de-sac? Like you can get lost down it, or or does it prevent create an avenue for for you to you know drive down sonically? Oh yeah, like you know the the coolest thing for me is like latching on going on and playing around with something and getting like a sound like oh this is cool and immediately this would be good for oh i'm going to start playing i'm going to play this here and i'm going to try that note and just sort of using the sound itself that starts to create you know the whole the the, the structure the ideas in the piece um and uh sometimes you go down rabbit holes where you've, I've recorded it, it's like, oh, it's not quite feeling because you can tweak so many things, right? In the software, if you had a felt piano, you got a felt piano. <laughs> but in the software, you can have all these different, uh, you can create more mechanical things, less mechanical noise and all that kind of stuff. And everybody's using, using, using that. But uh, it's like sort of focusing again, it's always coming back to, to listening to and is this speaking what I want it to say in this particular texture, you know, in this particular uh, sound, the timbre, uh, and uh, getting to the point too where it's like, okay, it's done, moving on. <laughs> so speaking of getting to the point where it's done, keys for transformation, like the the track list, the the album flow, like how did you arrive at kind of like the sequencing and and where the record kind of begins and ends. Yeah, that that's a that's a good question because again, this is my first time going through going through this. So I actually went and uh, you can research this stuff, and there's all sorts of information about it. it's mostly all rock pop pop kind of ideas. But I knew I knew off the top that I wanted healing to be the first tune on that album, and I also knew I wanted to put hip roadie more in the middle because it's 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 quite different you know in many ways uh with a uh, more electric piano that i've used some roads stuff um and i you know I, I was talking with my producer you know don benedictson don is was he was just so great to work with and very very patient with me <laughs> and he i had them flipped around at the end you know and he said to me dan he says i think balance would be a good end. And so I start listening to them and, and you're going, absolutely right. You know, you get away from it then make up an idea of how these are going to sound together, listen to it and see what works, you know, and what doesn't work because my ears will always tell me, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, no, that's a, but, and there's strange things too for consideration is, is that one in exactly the same key? Is it in exactly the same tempo? is that because i i don't want that i wanted some you know the tunes are have some variations to them and so i wanted to make sure that you know that those came up as uh, being separate um but yeah they just got to a point where this works right took a lot of listening <laughs> a lot of listening is is it a challenge to listen to yourself like in that that listening experience 
being so close to the songs as the creator? Like, can you get outside of yourself as the creator and, and hear it as like, this is what it would be like as a listener? Oh, there's some of them. It's instant. It's absolutely instant. Uh, uh, like sounds of the heart and light of Laura, uh, and those and, and, and healing. What happens to me, like I get the emotional response, uh, and because they're written out of my emotions and really close, closely connected. But what happens to me is, oh man, I should have just played that intro a tiny bit softer and can we, and just a little slower, you know, because after I hear this tons and tons of times, it's like, oh yeah, I could improve this. Well, yeah, I could, but but no, I can't. <laughs> it's it's done. But it's it's those little things, and uh, it's just saying, you know what, this is the way it is, and uh, I take that information and that learning onto the next time. But it it won't make any difference because after you after you just listen to them a lot, it's like oh, just want to tweak this or tweak that. And I've talked to I don't know how many musicians and, and people have told me we do all the time. We're doing that all the time. Or little, just little mistakes, a little something that nobody else ever hears, but I do, and uh, it's just because I'm I'm so 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 familiar with it, and I've been telling people, I've been telling me stories about you know classic records and things where there's all these mistakes in them, but you don't really notice unless you you know focus in on it. So sometimes I have to pull myself away from focusing in on that and just uh, get into the vibe of the, of the tune and the feeling of it. Yeah. I guess that's what the, the live performance is often for us to kind of like correct those mistakes you're hearing on, on the record, <laughs> right? Like, like you, you have the opportunity to play it out and, and change it for the audience the way you wanted it after you've heard it for the umpteenth time. Yeah. Well, the live, the live's a like a pretty kind of a new ball game. Uh, is you're dealing with like the actual, you know, it's it's great if you get the natural sound balances happening. Like I'm using uh, a string trio for the for the concert, violin, viola, and and cello, and uh, I've got some electronic tracks, uh, and they're, they're like they're very subtle, but they're very you know, most of them are all rhythmic, some little bits of patchy high things and that, uh, and then the the, the piano. Um, but and we've also got some i got a little bit of vocals on the on the track not singing it's it's like oohs and ahs on a couple of tunes mm -hmm. it's expanded aaron prop we got aaron prop to do some of that it's just oh it turned out just beautiful so i i want and i want those on the tracks because i want people to have that experience to get part of that with the live you know connected so it's the the live is just has this quality to it this energy to it when there's people with you listening to it because that's my intent is to get this out to people coming through through me and all these ideas going out to other people to help them to have you know some kind of little experience transformation so to do that uh at the concerts i'm really excited about that you know and it's just and it's connecting with the people and uh, I'm going to be talking, you know, somewhat about what I my intent was for this particular song or a little story. You know, there's always stories attached to attached to these songs. And I appreciate that when I go into concerts 
and I'm getting from the from the writers and composers, songwriters, little stories about what this was and everything. I feel it brings it, it bring, it's like a musical theater thing, right? You mm -hmm. start to relate to the character a little bit more and bring you in. So it's uh, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> so Westworth United Church, was there a particular reason you chose that as the venue? Like, is there something special about the sound of that church or was the piano something that drew you there? Like, yeah, I mean, I've been searching around uh, for uh, pianos in churches for a number of months. And one of the things that uh, found some great places that had some great, really nice, nice pianos. Um, but some of them were not, you, they were all, way off to the side and couldn't be moved at all. And I want something, you know, mid so that I can have the strings and everything set up there. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I wanted uh, to, it, it, the piano needed to, to project. And Westworth has this really nice Yamaha seven foot. And uh, there was a few churches, you know, that had these really, really good pianos. And they've got a good uh, acoustic uh, setting. It's a newer church. Well, 1954, I think it was. But they did some renovations, I believe, she's about 15 years ago or so, 20 years ago, and really got the architects in. And and and, uh, and so it's got uh, a, a nice push of the sound from where it's coming from and going and going down through. But there was also um, lots of, yeah, there were some pianos that, they're good pianos, but it just didn't feel good to me. It's like, you know, picking a guitar, mm -hmm. right? You want to, there's lots of good guitars. You kind of find the one that's going to, going to feel good under your fingers and that. That matches so, your voice. Yeah. Matches your voice. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. You mentioned appreciating, you know, going to a, a, a concert and hearing them kind of explain a little bit about the song. I always close by asking the artist to pick a track and, and give us an anecdote or a reason why they're picking it. So if, if you can pick something from Keys for Transformation and, and share a little bit about your selection, I'd like to hear that. Yeah, I could tell you about uh, the uh, Light of Laura. Light of Laura is that's my my wife's my partner's name laura and about six years ago or so six or seven years ago i decided that for christmas i was going to write uh, a tune for each of my children and my wife and that and uh, i thought this would be this would be a really fun project it turned out to be a really big project <laughs> <laughs> but one of the, the the pieces that came out of that when i started writing that piece this melody just came it was very simple like it's just two chords going through the whole piece but then this melody comes in and i had it i used it on a cello and i just had a cello sample at that time and it just totally conveyed the idea of this uh, light um, that uh, is, is so present in 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 Laura, uh, and uh, when you know she does energy energy work and just connecting with 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 people, and it just seemed to 
be so good at, at making that match up. And I thought, I'm going to record this tune because you got the cello in there and it added a couple more strings and it was like, wow. And it's just, again, pretty straight ahead, pretty, pretty simple kind of thing. But it just had such a strong emotional quality, you know, for me that I knew I had to I had to put that on the album for sure. Well, we'll give that one a listen and a reminder to folks that the Keys for Transformation album releases on Wednesday, August 30th at Westworth United Church. Uh, DannyCarroll.ca, two R's, two L's. Uh, Please. Danny, thanks very much for taking some time and congratulations on the, on the release of your, your debut record. Michael, thank you so much. This was really, really fun. Loved it.